This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. You're in Acts chapter 4. What a wonderful book. What an exciting book. If you like stories, the action in this book will keep you riveted. By way of review, the book of Acts reveals what God can do when believers access His power through prayer and being controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. And those two go together. Christians don't need education credentials from religious teachers or the acceptance of political figures to be effective, be fruitful. Our personal commitment to Christ results in praying assemblies that have God's power. Praying assemblies that have God's power. And this is a theme through the New Testament, by the way. If you ever do a verse-by-verse study through 1 Timothy, do you know what Paul emphasizes to Timothy to teach uh, the flock of God? Two things. He says, first of all, there need to be godly men who are prayers and godly women who are modest. Those, that's the emphasis of the, that, those two pastoral letters. Modest how? Modern, modest in demeanor. Modest in presentation, only drawing attention to the Lord. And men who are spirit-controlled because they are praying men. That's the emphasis. Certainly that's the emphasis here. So the book of Acts is meant to be a church mirror (laughs) that every saint stands before regularly to see how he or she is doing in the church. Our standard is not what other churches are doing. Your personal standard is not what other Christians are doing. It's right here. This is the mirror. Take a good look. I used to joke with my kids that mirrors are ugly finders. (laughs) But it's not always ugly. You can look in here and say, and be encouraged. All right, this is, my life matches up to what, what God is saying. But this is the standard, and a powerful church, a church that pleases Christ, is a church that reflects what God was doing in the book of Acts. Now let's set the stage for the narrative as we pick up the story here in Acts 4 today. Remember in chapter 3, it begins with two apostles, John and Peter, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, meeting with other believers on the Temple Mount for their regular daily prayer time and encouragement. I would just say this, one of the reasons they met at that time was because that's when Folks' work days were getting done. So they adjusted, made spiritual priorities the priority, even though they had other priorities. A Christian who is walking with God doesn't have priorities that are bumping into each other. Well, I I can't do this for God, and I can't do this, and I can't do this, because I also should do this and this and this. If God has set up the priorities, He didn't make them to bump into each other. We let them bump into each other. 
But a priority is what he expects from me in his order, and it's okay, and he enables me to do it. And so they're meeting for prayer and encouragement. The result of their pure devotion and gathering together in Jesus' presence was a lame man being healed next to the gate called Beautiful. And then the man, who's obviously rejoicing, follows them up the stairs onto the Temple Mount to join the prayer meeting. And he's walking and praising God. Many recognize him. And they come running together to satisfy their wonder and curiosity about what has happened. That's chapter 3 and verse 1. And so the prayer time turns into a preaching service where the saints who then meet to worship become personal workers. And we will see that in the text today. Prayer meeting becomes a preaching service. People are responding to the invitation to be saved. And those believers who met for prayer end up leading people to the Lord. Now in Acts 4.13, we have the summary for all this going to happen in our text today. Would you look down at that verse? When the religious leaders saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them, and say that last phrase with me, that they had been with Jesus. That's the end of the paragraph. That's the end of this part of the story. And what does the Holy Spirit want us to see? That emphasis, everything that's happened is because they had been with Jesus. So Acts 4.13 is the summary. Men who spend time with Jesus, loving, learning, and praying, continue to see His power demonstrated. The result is sinners in the community being drawn to Christ even, through, even though the Lord's enemies oppose them. So today we need to see what happens when we really spend time with Jesus. And that's the title of today's message, Spending Time with Jesus. Is it your priority, church? It was the priority of the church in the book of Acts. Can we spend time with Jesus? As much time as we want, we can spend with Jesus, if we choose to do it. So the narrative in today's uh, message, this text, happens in two scenes over the space of two days. What starts in the temple court ends up in a trial court. It's an easy way to remember these two scenes that happen. So let's look at scene one. It's the end of the day. The lame man has been healed. People come together, Peter's preaching, and we read this in chapter 4, verse 1, and they spake unto the people. They spake unto the people. Now, 3.12 tells us Peter was preaching. This word, they, pay attention to the words. They indicates an interaction was taking place between the prayer meeting crowd and the sinners that responded to what Peter had preached. You see that? They spake. Now as God is working, Satan starts interrupting. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Satan's timing here is no accident. People are getting saved. He wants to end that. 
They come upon this crowd, verse 2, being grieved. It means that they were worked up to being indignant. They were incensed that these taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Just a note here. Peter mentions the resurrection in chapter 3, verse 15, and placed the blame on the rulers. That's in chapter 3 and verse 17. By the way, in, later on when he preaches to these rulers, he points the finger again and says, you crucified Jesus who God has raised. So he's, he's done that. But here's what's interesting. Did someone run with this news to the rulers and tattle on Peter? I think it, it happened. It had to happen for them to know what was happening out there. Perhaps it was the captain of the temple or one of his men that ran and told the, the leaders. Now, just time and space for all this to happen, that's why I'm saying there had to be personal work taking place. They are working in this crowd to answer questions, to help people come to the Lord, and it gives enough time for the temple captain uh, to get out there with his men. So regardless of exactly how that was unfolding, verse 3 says, and they laid hands on them and put them in hold, in custody. Now, who is them who are arrested? Well, verses 13 and 14 tell us it's Peter, John, and think about this, and the healed man. What do you think of that? So, the Bible says they were kept wherever as prisoners until the next day, for it was now evening. Do you think Peter and John were surprised that this was happening? I don't. It must have tested the faith of the healed man, though. The best day of his life. It just changed. Now he's in custody because he's been healed, but he's still hanging around with these two. I think that's significant. When new believers come to Christ, part of discipleship is helping them understand they will now be opposed. And by the way, when they're opposed, we need to be right there with them. I could tell you stories about things that have happened to Christians that I've had the privilege to lead to Christ as the enemy tries to destroy their faith. Let me just tell you about one tool in the devil's toolbox. I can't tell you how many times I've led people to the Lord and they've lost their jobs. Not related to being a Christian directly because they went into work and started witnessing. No, they came to Christ and then my phone rings and says, you know what, strange thing, I walked into work today and they let me go. They don't understand. I understand. And by the way, it can take them weeks to get another job. Well, what, what's that all? The enemy is trying to discourage him. Is it really worth it following Christ? Not only that, another tool in his, in his bag is family starts to turn against him. Other things begin to happen. And, and you need to remind them as you disciple them. See, that's the book of Acts. You can be made whole spiritually, physically, and Satan's going to come gunning for you. 
Christ. So we need to help them with that. Now, is it worth it? I'm not going to hell anymore. I'm on my way to heaven. I have Jesus living in my heart. I have peace. doesn't matter what I lose. It's, it's well worth it. However, it can shake you. And it certainly had to have had that effect, except that that night in jail he had two roommates, and I'm sure they were a blessing to him. Now, as Satan is working, though, he, is, he was already too late for what the Spirit of God was doing on the Temple Mount as b- believers proclaim the gospel. Verse 4, Howbeit many of them, and this is where the Holy Spirit chooses to tell us what was happening up there. These three go off to jail, but watch what's happening. Them that heard the word believed, and how many? The number of the men. That's a Greek word which means strictly men. Just the men. Certainly women were being saved as well, but just the men was about 5,000. Now, if you read the commentators, some think that it was only probably about 2,000, and that Luke was in fact keeping a record of how many people had been saved altogether since Pentecost. And now it's up to 5,000. Could be, could be that Another 5,000 came to the Lord. But connect the dots here. People who personally have been with Jesus gather regularly to corporately spend time with Jesus. They have His power and they see Him work mightily in the hearts of lost sinners. Let me say it again. People who personally spend time with Jesus gather regularly for corporate time with Jesus. They have His power, and they see Him work mightily through the hearts of lost sinners. I personally believe, and you can disagree, but your desire and your attendance with God's people corporately indicates how much time you spend with Jesus personally. say, well, Pastor, I don't like that. Well, let's have a conversation, and I'll challenge you on that. Tell me what's really going on that you have trouble meeting with God's people. Those who spend time with Jesus want to spend time with others who spend time with Jesus. Now the three men at the center of this incident are incarcerated, but the Word of God is not bound. I referenced Timothy early. Would you hold your place and go over to 2 Timothy? Paul's second letter to Timothy. I want to show you something remarkable that the Holy Spirit shows us in chapter 2 and verse 9. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 9. Watch what Paul says here. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. I'm in chains. But the word of God is not what? It's not bound. So you have Peter, John, the healed man. They're arrested. But the work continues. The word of God is not bound. And so they're in jail, but the Holy Spirit chooses to show us at this point, I'm still working. Mighty things are happening. And we're going to see here, God continues to work through even those who are incarcerated. 
God is glorified through the saving of many more souls. And so our powerful message is Jesus Christ, crucified for our sin and risen. That's the gospel. However, the proclamation of what has made us whole will result in great opposition. But God will work powerfully through His Word and Spirit-filled saints to bring great reaping, even though we can expect Satan to disrupt God's works. That ought to give you assurance. By the way, the Lord said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. See, you're never alone, and He is watching out for you. It just may be, though, that your incarceration or whatever happens may put you in a different place, and now those people can hear the gospel. So the text brings us to scene two. This is day two, and now they're in a trial court. Verse five, and it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers, the elders, the scribes, Annas the high priest, Caiaphas and John and Alexander. By the way, John and Alexander, I'm going to come back to the rest of them. John and Alexander are rulers of the Sadducees. So you've got Pharisees up there, you've got Sadducees. They hate each other, but now they're together to oppose Christ. No surprise there, right? And as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. So everybody who was somebody is gathered to oppose the truth. Now notice verse 6 states that this was a family affair. Annas, Caiaphas, many of the high priests, kindred. The Lord wants us to see this. Why? Well, history tells us that after Annas stopped being high priest, Caiaphas was appointed. And later, five of Annas' sons would hold that position. This is a family matter. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He defined nepotism as, quote, a man who, being evil, knows how to give good gifts to his children, end quote. <laughs> Certainly there's an application there for things that happen in Washington, but I move on. At least I got one amen. Amen. All right. Now, the text shows us why the authority of these religious leaders was threatened. Look at verse 7. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked this. This is an important question. By what power? That's the word dunamis. It's the same word for power, authority, back in Acts 1.8. Remember what the Lord said? You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me. This was about power and authority. By what authority are you doing what you're doing? And we have to reflect back to Acts 1.8, by the authority of the God of heaven. All right, so by what authority or by what name have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Why is that mentioned here? The Holy Spirit wants us to be reminded that it's His power and authority that Peter is operating under. Remember what we said at the beginning of this book? Everything that happens is God's working through His people for His glory to advance His kingdom. 
The Holy Spirit is mentioned here on purpose. Said unto them, Peter, filled with the Spirit, ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Now let's stop. Who is Peter talking to? This is the same bunch that when Jesus was in his earthly ministry, he was raising the dead, healing people, and he would heal them and they'd ignore the, the fact that somebody was healed and they're saying, by what authority are you doing this? And so it's happening all over again. But something else is interesting as you look at this text. Of course, they're constantly putting Jesus on trial in his earthly ministry, and now they're doing the very same thing with the apostles because Jesus is still doing the very same thing through the apostles. They can't stop these apostles from doing the very same work. You killed Jesus, God raised him. You've imprisoned us. Under his authority, we continue to do this. And oh, by the way, we'll see this in a moment. And standing right next to him is a man that they all knew was lame, and now he's absolutely whole and praising the Lord. When God is working through us and we're in the center of his will, his plan through us is unstoppable because it's his work. That ought to encourage us. Why? We feel like we're losing ground. It looks like Satan is having his way today. Stop! There are millions of people on this planet indwelt by the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ. And things are happening. Hence the opposition. And so he identified, you slew the Lord. Verse 11, this is the stone which was set at naught, despised, rejected, Oh, this isn't useful in our building. Throw it aside. Who'd they throw aside? Jesus. In building their religious system. But in God's economy and the system, His plan of salvation, the stone you cast away, He's the cornerstone. In fact, everything rests on Him. He's become the head of the, storm, of, the, of the corner. And notice, which was set at naught of, it doesn't just say the builders, what's it say? You builders. Verse 12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. So again, Peter gives another spontaneous message as his mouth is filled by the Holy Spirit. Now notice his focus. Peter is focused on the salvation of anyone who will hear his message as the Holy Spirit 
is as the Holy Spirit determines who the audience is. Let me say that again. Is Peter bitter and shouting at these people and telling them down? No. He's giving them the gospel. That's his focus, and his message is the gospel to anyone that the Holy Spirit will place in front of him to hear. Notice his authority is Jesus. He is willing to call out the sinner. You crucified Jesus. You builders rejected the cornerstone of God's redemptive plan. And then he offers them salvation. One name under heaven whereby we all, ye, must be saved. We must be saved. He includes them there. Very significant. Now notice the conclusion that these leaders come to. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is confident freedom of speech from the Holy Spirit. Peter's not trembling. He's, he's not fearful. He's bold. Think about who he's talking to. Just a month before, this bunch put Jesus to death. Could they turn around and do the same thing to these guys? Sure. Well, that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be legal. With Jesus, they didn't care about right and legal. They'll eliminate any threat. These guys are a threat to their authority. So when they saw their boldness, perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, uneducated, they were without rabbinic training, they weren't dumb. Again, remember that their instructor, their instructor for three and a half years was the Lord Jesus himself. They had the best teacher. And so the fact that they're seeing this and they're trying to, from human eyes, these are not spiritualized, these are not saved men. They marveled. Now that verb is imperfect in the original language. It means they continued to wonder at. They're not jeering. They're not shaking their heads. I think there are private conversations going on. They're talking and they're just, they're just at wow with these guys. They're not sure what to do with them. And they took knowledge of them. That, that word in the Greek, and it's hard to communicate it, it's like one of those wait a minute moments. Have you ever had one of those? So they're, they're marveling at these guys. Has it ever, when the light comes on and you're like, wow. They had one of those moments. And what was that wait a minute moment? Hold on. These guys were with Jesus. All right. And they're putting pieces together. And, and they were with Jesus. Now, along with the fact that these men remembered and were now impacted by the fact Peter and John had been with the Lord, the Lord also put there exhibit A of His power standing right there in their midst. How can we deny this when there's this healed man? How can we deny this? 
There's no stronger defense of the power of the gospel than a changed life. By the way, we're going to take some time tonight to talk about that as we celebrate the Lord's table. The healed beggar here was undeniable proof of Jesus' resurrection. Resurrection power not only raised our Lord, but it saved you. The same power that healed this man. Undeniable power. The Methodist evangelist Samuel Chadwick used to pray before his meetings that God would grant him a Lazarus. Not raised from physical death, but raised from spiritual death to shock the community with the power of the gospel. So he'd go into a meeting and say, Lord, you know who they all know is a really rotten sinner. Save him. Lord, would you raise a spiritually dead Lazarus? So everyone can see. God answered his prayers, and in meeting after meeting, town after town, people witnessed the saving power of God. And they had nothing to say to refute. As we close, can people take knowledge of you that you have been with Jesus? What about your life shows His glory on you and through you? A changed life, a heart for the lost, boldness for truth in the gospel. If we walked into your workplace and said, and hear ye, he or she, they're Christians, would they be shocked or would they say, we know? How about your family, your classmates? Do they take knowledge? That person's been with Jesus. People who personally spend time with our Lord gather regularly to corporately spend time with our Lord, and together they have power and they see Him work mightily in the hearts of others, especially lost sinners. And I would just share with you this morning, as we get ready to celebrate 50 years as a church, I don't think there is a more important theme and message that could be preached here. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of us. What matters is what Jesus thinks of us and does the world see Jesus in us because we spend time and loving, prayerful, yieldedness, submission to Him, and then we just have to tell others about it. That's why we're here. They could see that these men had been with Jesus. Father, thank You for the text today. What a powerful story. And Lord, what a convicting story. These are simple fishermen. But Lord, what they understood was profound. And who they were was powerful because they had been with Jesus. Now Lord, all of us as Christians, each of us has to answer in our own hearts, how much time do we spend with you, Lord? And if you've brought conviction to hearts today, blessed spirit, 
about how we spend our time, what relationships we emphasize in our lives, all of which affects our witness for you. Lord, if you've convicted, would you help Christians to respond? That, Lord, we would all determine that our first priority above everything else is to spend time with you and the time you want to spend with us. It's not what we decide even there. But Lord, that, that that fellowship would be sweet and that we'd be in your word and talking to you as we've heard sung today. And that, Lord, you would then work mightily through us to see the lost come to you. Lord, we'd also be able to handle the enemies in our lives just like Peter and John did. So many times enemies rear their heads and Christians fold. And they run. And they are involved in conflict with others. Lord, the honest truth is we just haven't spent enough time with you. So work in this this invitation, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God, or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.